The galaxy is burning. Brother fights brother. And treason splits the Imperium of Man. This is the Age of Darkness. Whether you're a warrior of the Legiones Astartes, an adept of the Mechanicum, or just a mere mortal in a universe of madness, you'll find a place here. Welcome to the Remembrancer's Retreat, coming to you from within the depths of the Vengeful Spirit. Well, hello and welcome to a new little spin-off, the Heresy Book Club, which was planned for a long time, but hi. You're here today with Austin and me, Carol. So, hi Austin, how are you doing? Oh, uh, you know, I'm doing alright. Uh, good old day. So, uh, we started talking about this project for a while and we did some recording and now we're here with the first Heretic. It's a good time for reading books, you know. It is a very good time. I mean, it's a very good time to read good books. Mm -hmm. And the first Heretic always had a special place in my heart just because it explains so many things so well, and it's a lot of fun to read. Yeah, it it's a book that, when I first read it, having, you know, no love at all for the word bearers who were just a bunch of prayer-mumbling idiots... And Lorgar is just the chief prayer mumbling idiot. Uh, it really made me feel sorry for them as a legion. Uh, like, Lorgar does himself no favors as the heresy goes on. But you can understand why they did what they did. Like, it all sort of makes sense. And you can really feel like, you know, you see it from their side. Like, yeah. It's not just that we thought the Emperor was a god, and then he said, oh, we're not a god, and we got huffy and left. Like, there's some cause of spelly in here. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of that, but mostly a lot of other really good stuff. Oh yeah, there's a ton of little fun nuggets of fluff and interest in here. And Argel Tall. Yeah, exactly. In this book, one of my favorite Space Marines gets introduced. Or, I don't know if he's got introduced. I think he got mentioned in other books as well, but this was the first book where I really got introduced to him as a special character, as a good or as a good character. Yeah, for sure. If it wasn't his like first time his name got dropped, it's certainly the first time he had any like memorable appearances. I mean, in this book, the that's this book start with, starts with him with his story of how he got picked up by Erebus, of all people, to join the Legion. And it's a nice little tidbit there. Yeah, it's fun. It's just like a page, like half a page. And it's interesting, because it really shows you, like, hey, he was just kind of a normal kid and didn't really understand what was going on and just sort of was like, yeah, you know, it's like a little kid that wants to be an astronaut. And some astronaut shows up at his door and takes him. Except instead of being an astronaut, you're getting turned into a biologically altered super soldier. Yeah, yeah. Super soldier. But what I really love about this is just, alone his mother... So, 
What happens here is pretty much he gets picked up by Erebus, but his mother will not let him go until she knows the name of the warrior, which I think is pretty neat. I mean, even his mom is already um, a significant person. She's standing up to a space marine who's here to pick up her child and just wants to know his name first. I appreciate that. Yeah, and like, you can tell that not everybody is thrilled by the idea that like, he's going to come become a word bearer because his sisters are crying. That's the first sentence is his sisters wept when the Legion came for, for him. And it kind of sets up that like, yeah, it, it is like we, a sad thing that this little kid has to be a space Marine. We always, and he couldn't understand yeah, why. Like, well, I can tell you why having been a seven year old boy, uh, it's awesome. Right? Like, <laughs> like, if somebody was like, hey, we'll make you 12, 12 foot tall, give you really cool armor and a gun, and uh, you'll go fly in space and fight aliens. Seven-year-old me is first one on the ship. <laughs> of course. But, like, 30-year-old me, like that, that's a sad thing that you have to take a kid and, like, turn him into a weapon. And we don't really think about that a lot. No, I mean, you take the child away, you take it away from the family, will never return. The parents will never really know what happened to him. Um, there's a high chance that they don't even survive the process. And even if they survive, they will never ever do anything apart from fighting and killing in a war, which doesn't really influence the parents too much. Yeah, especially in, you know, the heresy era. Your, oh, planet, yeah. your planet's under the imperial aegis... You're just fine, pretty much. Yeah, you're you're on a chosen planet if you get indo indoctrinated in most of the legions. Yeah. I mean, does, he came from Colchis, I think it is yeah. called. So he was in a planet which is safe and nice and pretty and awesome. And nope, you go and you kill and die for the Emperor. So it's a fun way to start, of just sort of innocence lost. It's like it's foreshadowing things. Yeah, kind of. And then we come to the very, very first chapter of the first part of the book. Oh, just in general, this book is split into three parts, and each of those parts are great. Like, I don't think there's a weak part in this book. No, there really isn't. Like it, it had been a while since I'd read it, and by a while, I mean probably two or three years since I picked up the book before I reread it for this, and it just sort of hit me that, like, you know, you remember books, and like, oh yeah, it's good. Like I enjoyed it. But I kind of picked it up and didn't sit it back down until it was finished. So let's talk about the restart of the book. Because what we just talked about was the prologue. But I remember the Day of Judgment. It is a strong segment. This is out of uh, a book written by one of the characters in the book. Yeah. Uh, and it's sort of, I don't know, I guess I'd... Oh yeah, he, she writes a book. A book afterwards called The Pilgrimage. Uh, and this is all about Cyrene Valantian, is how I'm going to choose to pronounce that. Well, I haven't heard the audiobook, I don't actually know the specifics. Um, Valantian sounds fair. Um, and she seems to be a high class prostitute. Uh, <laughs> that, that is her job. Uh, in something that is either super, like, you know, 
it's not a hooker you find in a seedy part of town. It's more like it's not quite a geisha as far as like reputable, very important. But she does seem to have a lot of like cultural weight to her profession. This is really interesting because this is pretty much the exact opposite of what I understood in this part. Yeah. Yeah, so um, let's talk a little bit about it. In this first part, out of her view, she is explaining a little bit how everything started. How on one day, where everything seemed to be nice, the stars came falling down. And everybody thought, oh, my great, good gracious, that's the Grey Legion, it's back. Well, not the Grey Legion, but it's the word bearers. They're coming back for us, and they're just going to come and pick up some children to join the army. But to their big surprise, no, it's not the word bearers. It is the Ultramarines. And they are having a really different message. Now, one of the things why I think she was, or I really thought she was some kind of scholar or not a priest, she was in some position where she's not supposed to get touched. Nobody's supposed to touch her. She wears a holy robe or a special robe. She has a knife of her, okay, as protection, I guess. But still, I really thought with something like this, it's more like a nun or something where you're not supposed to touch them unless they accept you or allow you to do it, like uh, with Tibetan monks. And I think there's certainly aspect of that in here but there like i i thought there were some hints that made it more like she was some sort of prostitute of some sort um because like you can't touch her unless you gain her permission and then later on well well i, I don't want to talk about that yet but like later on there are also some other like hints and nods that maybe she didn't have like the <laughs> the most uh, proper of positions in society. I, mean, I would have assumed. Well, I don't know. We 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 don't really get an answer to this, but let's see. The book yeah, starts. Yeah, certainly never says definitively is, like this is your job. No, and there's never a name drop or anything. Well, she gets called a whore by an old lady, but. Old ladies are gonna. Old talk, ladies right? are gonna talk, and think some custodes call her a whore as well. But like, what do custodes know about it? They're probably eunuchs. We don't know. I mean, so what I think is very significant here already, as well as she, unless a lot of the other people, she does not fall down to her knees. She's one of the first people who are calling out that these are not the word bearers. These are not the bearers of the word. Mm-hmm. And she even gets a gun pointed at her for speaking out loud that she does not want to leave. Pretty much what happens is the ultramarines, they land in the city and tell everybody in the city that we are here for the emperor and you're going to leave the city and in seven days we're going to blow it up. They don't actually say they're going to blow it up. They say just leave in seven days. Like, you have seven days to evacuate the city. That's true. It's um, evacuated. Which... On the final day, your planetary leaders will be allowed to send a single distress call. Yeah. And it does turn out to be 
not great because, like Caro said, um, you know, it it explains how the Ultramarines are doing all this stuff, and then a few days later, Cyrene still hasn't left, uh, and she gets like met by I think it's a land speeder who <laughs> tells her like evacuate, and she doesn't want to, and she's got a heavy bolter pointed at her, and finally she's like, yeah, you know, I'm gonna go, but why are you doing yes. this? Like, we're, we're loyal. We're, what, are, what are you doing? We are loyal to the God Emperor. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, this is the next time where she gets called a, wh- a whore again. No, well, no, heathen words. So pretty much, what she does is she asks them, why do we need to leave? We are loyal to him. We are praying. We are absolutely... We love the God Emperor. Nobody wants a God Emperor. The Ultramarine is really close to just shooting her, but he leaves her, le- leaves her, and lets her alive, and tells her at sunrise on the seventh day, turn and look back to your city. You will witness the illumination you crave. Which is a dick thing to say. Um, but it's very literal and true. Because at the seventh day, they. They nuke it from orbit. Uh, well, not actually nuke okay. it. They hit it with lances. Um, and it blinds her permanently. Because it's like looking yeah, at a, a, bomb, a nuclear bomb going off and just kind of melts her eyeballs or something. Yeah, the very last thing she will ever see was how... Yeah, the last sight she ever saw was monarchy and ruin and towers falling into the flames. Just imagine you're living in the city, you're believing in things... And some army comes over, tells you to go go leave. You look one last time into the city in the morning on the seventh day. They nuke the city, blind you, and the last thing you ever see is how the city gets destroyed and you will never, ever see anything again. Yeah. It really is kind of the ultimate dick move on the part of the Ultramarines because at no point, at no point do the Ultramarines explain anything, right? They're just like, get out. We've been told for you to leave leave. See, that's one of the things. The Imperium wants you not... They don't want anybody to think that you want just people to follow. Yeah. And this is already very clear, especially humans, normal people. If a space marine comes and tells you to do something, you better do it, otherwise you're dead. Mm-hmm. Now, they get their distress call. I can't really tell if it happens before or after the cities are obliterated, but they get their, they get their call. And, of course, the plan- the planet is asking for the word bearers and is asking them to come and to save them from the false angels to hear the prayers and return to us, sons of the God Emperor. Which, to their credit, they do. They try really hard to come and be, fa- uh, be fast and be there, but it takes two months. Yeah. It takes two months for the word bearers to really join and come and be there. Yeah, and remember... Guys, this is like warp travel. It's not just getting on the highway and driving. Like they, it's specifically said that like ships get lost in the warp because they're going so fast. Like to try and save Monarchia, and it's already well. I guess Kerr Monarchia is just a planet, uh, or just a city yeah. on the planet. Um, and obviously they're late, and it doesn't work. Uh, and they show up they and lost people's lives. They just don't understand what happens. Uh, 
the Ultramarines are still and there. Dead. And uh. it kind of throws off like Lorgar and all the word bearers because they show up expecting a fight. They see a fleet uh, surrounding the planet. And of course, their first instinct is those are the bastards that did this. Let's go fight folk. And it's the Ultramarines. And everything just sort of falls apart from there. <laughs> um, yeah. Mm. Logar tries to talk to his sons and tries to get them to come out and or do some things, and he gets intercepted by Gilliman, who tells everybody to be uh, to come down onto the planet. This is an order. Do it now. Don't ask. Just do it. Mm-hmm. And of course, they are doing it. Not like there have many options. Yeah. But it's all interesting. There's the whole fleet of the word bearers, and there's only one ship of the ultramarines. Yeah, just Gulliman hanging out, being a dick about it, and presumably hung out for like two months. Yeah, probably. Or maybe he just came earlier, let his sons do the dirty work, let everything blow up, and then hung out, or came a week earlier or something. Yeah, <laughs> just showed up for the party. Uh, yeah, him and... I mean, it's not just Gilliman, to be fair, but... No, it's definitely not, but... No, I, I'll never great. miss a, a chance to shit on Gilliman. No, never, never. He deserves, he deserves it. everything. He's so bad at his job. So what happens is... um, The Red Bears are doing what they are told to. They are completely... All of the Red Bears... All of them are landing on the planet. And when this happens... Or when they are done, their primer content gets, I don't know how you call it, they get an honor guard. It's described as having somebody bring someone to the execution block. Pretty much the primer gets sandwiched between between ultramarines and just gets led to the place he's supposed to be. Yeah, like they're like, oh, it's an honor guard. And then it's, everybody's sort of looking at it and they're like, wait a minute. Like, this isn't an honor guard at all. Um, and they're all just quiet while this is happening. Like All the word bearers are just kind yeah, of no words. standing there in formation, watching to see what's going to happen. I thought from one of them. So some, they're, of course, a little bit talking and a little bit trying to figure out because this was the perfect city. It was raised in the em- image of the emperor. And this brings us already to how Logar tries to figure out what is going on because he does not understand. He thinks Gilliman is crazy. He thinks everybody went insane. Yeah, and that's the craziest thing about this. Like, because of course they get there. Like, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know this this story, at least in broad strokes, that Gilliman, like, they get told, oh, what, like you're you're screwing up. You shouldn't be raising all of these cultures to believe the emperor is a god. But remember, at this point, one Lorgar hasn't really been told that, and two, he's been doing it for a century, right? Yeah, he thought he this was right. He thought the emperor is a god and just doesn't want to admit it. So he raised all the cultures, brought all the planets to compliance, and made them pray to the emperor. And this here's the moment where he gets told for the very first time. That it's not good. No, he no no. He doesn't get told it. What happens is Gilliman went there with the Sigilite, Malkador, 
They try to tell Logar what's going on. Logar, of course, doesn't want to hear it. So the Emperor himself gets teleported to this planet, forces each and every living wordbearer on this planet to fall on their knees. They cannot do anything against it. They have to near the ashes, and he forces Logar, their Primarch, on the knees herself just to tell them that whatever they have done is not worth it. They have wasted time. They have... All the work they did was useless. It was nothing. They absolutely... They are the worst. They have not done what they were told to, and they need to get better. And the only ones. Oh, and you get a watch yeah. party. And they're the only ones to have failed. So not only do they and suck, all- they're the only ones that suck. And this happens in front of the Ultramarines. And they are just standing there while they are on their knees, with their Primark on their knees. And, I mean, that's a big deal. Everything on a Space Marine is about honor. Everything they want is to be recognized, to be heroes, to be the hero of the Imperium. And they get told they are nothing. They did everything wrong. All the stuff they did is wasted. And they need to get better while somebody else is watching. Yeah, and you know, there's something yeah. interesting I, I just realized in this. So when Biggie shows up and, you know, Lorgar says, you know, hey, we, we make the most loyal worlds in the Imperium, in your Imperium. And Biggie's like, it's not mine, it's the Imperium of man. We're enlightened, we're saved. And uh, Lorgar's just like, you're a god. And the Emperor just says, Lorgar. And then Lorgar goes, no, like, he gives all the the truth, like, you're immortal and dying, seeing all, knowing all. Like, you're a god in all but name. Just admit that you're a god. And the Emperor just says, like, Lorgar even more angrily. And then Lorgar's like, you're a god, say the words, and end the lie. Um, and the Emperor goes on to say, like, oh, blah, 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 you're blind and cling to ancient perceptions, yada, 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 yada. He never says no. He never says no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yeah, yeah. I, I literally just realized that as I was kind of flipping flipping through as we're going along here. Um, you know, he, he lays out, like Caro said, that they failed and you suck and... You're supposed to fight people and not, like, make dumb churches. But at no point does he say, like, false religion or whatever. Like, he says it's a, in the, you kneel in the ruination at the end of a false path. But he never says, I'm not a god. No. I and mean, he is, he is, he has godlike powers. He forces 100,000 warriors at once to kneel and they cannot do anything against it. They just fall to their knees. It's not like they don't do it. They just, normally they do it by choice. I think, what is it? Yeah, this was not fealty, nor worship, nor service. This was slavery. Yeah. I love this. This is one of the thoughts of Agatar. This is just because somebody told them to kneel and normally they just prayed to this person. But... Anyways. Yeah, I think that really makes it worse for all the Ultramarines. Yep. Like, 
whenever the Emperor shows up in any of the books, like, even Primarchs get sort of an instinctive, hey, I want to kneel to this person. And, like, Marines fall on their knees just by being around him. Yeah, by, like, instinct. They want to do it. And I think being made to do it is, like, that's a very different thing, right? Like... It's it's a yeah, difference between sex and rape, right? Like one of those is fine. There's no consent yeah, here. But no consent, and suddenly, you know, your eyes get open to the type of person that that is, and they're just like, man, Biggie is kind of a dick. Now what? One hundred thousand of them. Oh, and he told us we are worthless, and everything we did was bad. So great. Yep. But yeah, of course. After Big E is done with washing um, uh, Logger's head, well, not even washing it, just kind of slapping him a bit, little bit around and then leaving. Gilliman is left, has to watch all of this and then has to tell him, by the way, you also get some babysitters here. Mm-hmm. And they're cool to my favorite scene. One of my favorite scenes in this book, Logger punches Gilliman. Yeah, they don't actually specify, but obviously squarely in the face. <laughs> I think it is on the... It's a breastplate. Oh, do they? Yeah, I don't know if it's specified in this book, well, but I know it was mentioned it in a different on metal, one. So I guess it wasn't his face because he wasn't wearing a helmet. But nevertheless, uh, he knocks G-Man to the dirt and just says, you will never mock me again. Um, and it almost triggers uh, a little massacre there. Because, of course, the Ultramarines and Argletal both... Or, and the word bearers both just immediately point boulders at each other because obviously um, 100,000 boulders versus one company which are how many people? I don't know. Uh, it's all over the place honestly. This this specifies yeah. 100 gun barrels against 100,000. There we go. So yeah, it certainly would have been a massacre of ultramarines, but it doesn't actually happen. Um no, because nobody fires until fired upon, and nobody fires. Yep. Uh, and then they leave. Uh, some of them hang out a little bit, because um, that's where they find Cyrene. Yeah, but um, also interesting, Argatol and Zaphon? Zaphon? Zaphon. 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 He picks... They pick up Aurelian out of the dirt. Not Erebus. Not... Corferon, the always miserable guy. Mm. It is Argatol and Saven. And they go ahead. They pick the, um, uh, the their Primarch up and he leaves. Well, they hang a little bit around. Of course, the whole Legion goes back and tries to figure out what is going on. And Argatol picks up Sereni. Well, picks her up. He finds her in the dirt, kind of nearly dying. In the process, of, in the active process of dying, they pick her up and they save her. Yeah. And of course, at first she thinks they're ultramarines because there's been nothing but ultramarines around for the last few months. And, and she can't she see. Can't see so, you know. But she sort of like breaks down in like relief when she asks and they say, our armor's great. You know, word bearers, the good guys, quote unquote. The angels came back. Because keep in mind, she grew up with the word bearers are the angels, and the emperor's their god. Yeah, and she, she's like 18. And they're always here to protect them. And I think the planet had yeah, been... Yeah, I think so. 
have been colonized for, or have been pacified for like 60 years. Or it was 60 years when the word bearers left. So that's, you know, two, maybe three generations, depending on how you slice it. Oh, snap. She just turned 18. Like she's one month into being 19. And damn, that's a weird time. Yeah. Yeah, So like, it's not that she like drank the Kool-Aid and became a convert. She's like in her late teens, her parents worship the emperor, her grandparents worship the emperor, maybe her great-grandparents, maybe her great-grandparents were, like, the first to accept. So, like, all the people in her life are also, like, believing in the god emperor. And this city is really serious about it all. They have speakers there. They have three times a day, they have prayers. Yeah. Everything in the city was... Yeah, this this was the mecca of this planet. One of the mechas of the planet. This was a giant city just built for the emperor, for the god emperor, in the image with... There's a big description about all the pretty things. I mean, you should read the book if you want Mm -hmm. to see it. But it was an amazing place for this religion, and it got blown up in front of her eyes, and she nearly died. She was out there, blind for two months before anybody was able to come there. Yeah. Yeah, but honestly, I I gotta say, like I said, I've always enjoyed being upset at the Ultramarines. But it was actually the next chapter that kind of made me start to appreciate the word bearers. God, I hope Steven doesn't listen to this. Um, (laughs) I'll let him know. Because the, the very first thing they talk about is a Lorgar pacification of cultures, the word bearer's homeworld. Uh, and for those of you that might be unfamiliar with that, um, he winds up, you know, on the planet, doesn't know how he got there, is a baby, like all the other Primarchs. Uh, he gets brought into a priesthood. The world has got a crazy chaos cult religion. Um, yeah, he drinks the Kool-Aid. Yeah, he, and he drinks the Kool-Aid pretty hard. Like, he joins the priesthood. Oh, he doesn't drink it. He passes yeah. it. I mean, he's, you know, months old, but Primarchs being what they are, he joins the priesthood and starts doing the great thing, like all Primarchs do. And then he gets a vision of the Emperor. He started having visions when he was a child, when he was like eight years yeah. old. He ca- they, There's the whole thing about him. Logar had Corferon. I know at least he had him by his side at all times. And I think Erebus as well, right? Uh, yes, because Corferon was essentially dad. And then Erebus, mm-hmm. I believe, was another higher-ranking priest when the whole thing started. Anyways, so. those are his two guys he takes with him from becoming a Primarch. Mm-hmm. But pretty much, well, he always had dreams and visions of the Emperor. He tried to figure out what it means. And he forged war upon his own planet destroyed the culture he believed in yes. to build his own for the emperor. And then there was the day the emperor came. Yeah. So six years of civil war. It's implied that there's some nuking going on. Like it's not a pleasant, you know, think Aleppo, but the whole planet. Uh, yeah. And then the emperor shows up. And, and he does not say yeah. a thing against And Lorgar it. says, behold the god emperor. 
here's all our festivals and temples to the God Emperor. You're the God Emperor. The God Emperor is great. And the Emperor apparently at no point says, wait a minute, no, I'm not. Stop, stop calling me God Emperor. No, nothing like this. It just happens. He just accepts it because his hope. One of the things you can take out of all the, of out of this book, the emperor never wanted. The, the only thing the emperor ever wanted from all of his primarchs was to be good warlords, which Lorgar does not want to be. He is not a warlord. He keeps saying this over and over, but emperor doesn't care. He wants a warlord. I'm pretty sure he would not have minded the whole God Emperor thing at all if they would have been faster. The only problem of the whole thing was they were slow. Yeah. They took time. And like... They taught planet stuff. They didn't just take them over and le left them. And there is some proof in that, not to like say anything against the route of Fenris, um, but the Space Wolves at least don't think too hard on whether the Emperor or the All-Father is a god or not. Uh, All-Father was the name of kind of their Zeus senior deity, and that just becomes the Fenrisian word for Emperor. And they don't ever really... Eh? <laughs> like, do they think the Emperor is a god? Probably. Certainly some of them probably do. And uh, nobody ever gets mad at Space Wolves about it, tell you what. But Space Wolves are fast with what they do. You gotta do. be good at what you do. All other sins are forgiven. But also here, Logar and his... and Logar, Kofir, and Erebus, they are talking about how it all started. They're talking about the Primarchs. And I feel like there is already the first spot where you can see how weak Logar is. Because Corferon... His father, the one he thought would always believe in him, tells him, I, I absolutely, oh, no, 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 you know, I expected this to happen. So I always kind of saved some of our true religion and left it behind so we can still have the true religion. And Logar does not kill him. He nearly chokes him out and nearly kills him, but he does not kill his, this person who absolutely betrayed him and everything he st stood for. Right? Like, And he's just had an existential crisis because... He's pretty much sat down and go, oh my god, I've killed all of these people and done all of these things for a lie. And all for a wrong image. <laughs> like, and, like, now now what? Nerebus is just, uh, or Corfaron's like, oh yeah, I, I figured this would happen, boss, don't worry about it. Like, what a dick move is that? You're not, not even a, oh, I'm sorry, but, you know, I I already knew this is going to happen, so I did all yeah. those and things. And I, uh... And he does not... I, I didn't purge as hard as uh, you want to be, too. You know, there's that Davin, Evander, Carosa. Don't worry about it. There's, there's some stuff around. And he says, do I not even have control over my closest warriors? And there's truth in that. No, he doesn't. No, 100%. He doesn't have the control. 100%. No, Logar... His real sons or his real space marines, absolutely. He has full control over them, but Corferon and Erebus, hell no. Hell no. They, they use him as a toy at times. It's crazy. Oh, 100%. Like, Lorgar, especially once this happens, like, once Lorgar's kind of faith in the Emperor is broken, he just. It doesn't take a lot of convincing for Corferon and Erebus to 
get him to do all sorts of wild stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, the first, the first thing they need to do is they need to figure out how they will keep carrying on with the Legion. Because the Legion, they always did everything for the God Emperor. They just got told, this is not what I want. And now they need to figure out what are we going to do instead. So, what does make Space Marines happy? Of course, when they go ahead onto a planet and completely destroy it. In order for compliance. And that's exactly what they do. Yep. They go on a planet and destroy every living soul. Kill every man, child, woman, everything. Yeah, and it's real bad. And it Is that the first time um, the word bearers fight, see the, uh, the, the custodes fight? Yes, which is fun, because they, they talk about how, you know, they're, they're amazing warriors and are just, you know, ripping through all of these uh, enemies because, hey, that's what custodes do. But also, they're like, hey, there's a problem here. And they're like, you know, Marines fight like brothers, and they're a unit. And that's part of the reason why they're so incredibly potent war machines. And the custodes aren't. And they're kind of already looking for weaknesses in how the custodes yeah. do business. The lines amongst wolves. Yeah. And also, though this isn't in the book, um, it's in a short story that I now can't remember the name of. If, if, if I figure it out, we're going to put yeah. it in the notes or something. Um, but the short story is also about this fight. Because um, they fight a pretty distinct culture with like crystal, tripod, mega walkers. And, with, um, and all sorts of stuff. Artificial intelligence. Yeah, with some AI and just all sorts of shenanigans. But they get to the center of the city in the short story. And uh, in the book, they don't, really, they don't talk about this at all they go off and follow different people doing other uh, interesting things. But they find out that the whole culture is for the past hundred years or so been worshipping a transmission that they found and they make a hard copy of it and put it in this temple that some word bearers find and it's the Lectitio Divinitatis. Uh, and Lorgar oh, wow. knows, like Lorgar knows that this is, like that this was a thing, and you know it horrifies the Astartes that find it because they're just like, oh my god, like we didn't need to fight these dudes at all, really. And he's like, no, no, That's no, Lorgar. we totally did. P.S. I'm writing this new book. Uh, don't know where I'm going to go with it yet, but we'll we'll figure out what the real truth is. Talk about yeah, symbolism. and it's, it's Logar finds this one planet in the whole godforsaken galaxy who actually believes in what he wrote down in his very first The Emperor's a God book and destroys it after he got told everything is wrong. It makes sense that he picks this mm -hmm. planet, but still, as interesting all of this, we don't we're not there with Algratal. We hear all of this in well, he explains it to Sereni. Yeah. Explains her about the culture, tells her what is going on. And at the end of the compliance, when the world bearers are done with killing a whole planet, he's talking to them. Or he, Logar 
addresses his sons directly for the first time. He has a nice little fight with um, the custodies, and the custodies have some guns pointed at them. Well, all the guns. But they leave, and leave Lorca alone with his sons. Where it is announced that they will go home to cultures. Yeah, which is an interesting tra- tactic to, to take, because you know, they've just been told, hey, everything you work for is a lie, you're crap, and you're crap because you're going slow. Quit going slow. Go fast. Do your damn job. And they go home. Which, like, Colchis is not on the Imperial frontier, right? Like, Oh, no. So they're already sort of disobeying orders. I mean, they, are, they took two months of all of their engagements to come, well, yeah, to come to Monarchia. And then go destroy one single planet and then they go home. Which, I mean, to be honest, I can understand when I'm hit hard, there's no better place than yeah. home to help you build up your confidence again. Yeah. But I feel like this there... Think about things. Yeah, but to be fair, Logar doesn't just go home. He goes home and he invited his brother. Yeah, his favorite brother, Magnus. Would you like a shout-out on our podcast? Maybe discounts on our Teespring store? Maybe you'd like to vote for upcoming Heresy Grad School topics? Hang out in a private Discord server? Or maybe even just getting a fun podcast sticker? If you're interested in any of that, consider becoming a patron. Patreon funds help for server costs and allow us to make cool content for you to enjoy. Patronage also helps us pay for projects such as our Nova Open Charitable Foundation Army, The Honored, and Ultramarine Zone Metallus Force will be up for charity raffle coming this year. If you're interested in getting in on the action, consider becoming a patron today at patreon.com forward slash rr30k podcast. Thank you. A big shout out to all our July patrons, starting with our Praetor tier, Alex Self, Chris Mack, Jacob Dillon, Gardner.Tree of Woe, Joe from Music City Heresy, Josh Phillips, Matthew Boyce, Mr. Baldwick, and Nicholas Quanga. On to our Centurion tier, we have Andrew N., Angry Boy, John Christensen, M. Tanzer, Mark Henry, Minis by Applesauce, Scott LeMay, and Black Label Painting. And on to our Sergeant tier, we have Aaron Maynard, Duncan, Emily O'Hare, Garrett Lowe, and Travis Smith. Thank you all so much for your support. He only has two brothers. No, well, three brothers he really likes. Yeah. Of course, Horus and Magnus, who was the first he ever met. And he's the one he can relate to. He's the one he can talk with. Because all the other ones, they see Logar as a weakling, as a weird, odd dude, which I also can't understand. But, uh, yeah, he brings Magnus over, and... They have kind of, you know, they, they have a chat about life, the universe, and everything. Uh, and it becomes pretty um, clear that the reason why Lorgar wants to talk to Magnus is because Magnus sticks his head into the warp an awful lot. Uh, and Lorgar is wanting and answers. He wants to know. He wants to have all the answers because, of course, Magnus already knew that the Emperor was not a god and all those things. But still, Lorgar got never told about this and it's also never really mentioned if he's that that he got told it earlier no it's just like well it is what it is you're too slow yeah like there was never any warning and he he straight up says it to magnus um he goes you know since uh 
since then, meaning, you know, when I met the Emperor, I had crusaded across his empire for over a century, raising icons and fates in his image, and only now he objects? After a hundred years, only now I'm told that all I've done is wrong? Yep. And, like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Magnus is sort but of every like... soul wearing their armor. Yeah. Every soul. Oh, well, yeah. Did he throw your precious thousand sons to the ground and tell your entire legion that every soul wearing their armor was a wasted life? Yeah. It is strong, and he never gets told it. He never got a yeah. warning. And that's a harsh thing At to say. At least as far as we know in the book. Space Marines are, again, five- and six-year-olds, eight-year-olds, ten-year-olds, and turned in to something not really human anymore for one job. And if they're a waste at that, like, what good are they? You know? Yeah. And they have a little bit of real talk because Logar is afraid. Because Logar, he met his other two brothers, the lost Primarchs. And there was talk about him meeting the same faith or fate, which is fascinating because I never considered that Emperor actually would talk to his tools about which of the broken tools he should throw away and which one he should try to fix. Yeah. And this was the one first time where, um, yeah, where Russ and Magnus were on the same side of one s something. They were like, "Yeah, no, don't, don't, don't you kill another brother? Don't you do it?" Yeah, because it was, and Logar is apparently very surprised that Russ uh, spoke out against disappearing Logar. Uh, yep. And Magnus says, "Yeah, Russ." said that he swore that he'd already lost two brothers and had no desire to lose a third. And then, of course, they stopped talking about it because they've been promised to never speak of the missing Primarchs or Legions again. I mean, to be fair, um, man, Magnus dodges a major question and just doesn't answer because Logar asked him straight up, would you never talk about me again? Never name my name again just because you took an oath? And he just ignores it. Yeah. And asks, what, are you, what, what is your real thing? What is your real deal? What do you want from me? Why am I here? Well, before we get on that, there is a fun line here. Uh, because like we said, they talk about the missing Primarch and they say two already lost. I still recall how they... And then Magus cuts them off. Which is interesting to me because obviously they is some sort of togetherness. So... It and means everybody met those Primarchs. All the other Primarchs met their brothers. Yeah. Well, at least those two words were present. Except for uh, Korax and the people that came after him. Because they were already gone when Korax was found. Because that's like an awkward conversation. Oh, okay. Because the Emperor's like, yeah, you'll meet your like 17 brothers. And... Hey, wait a minute, that math doesn't add up. Oh, no, he says you have 18, 17 brothers, brothers, and he's like, but I'm number 19. So what happened? And the Emperor's like, don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Different story. Um, but it's interesting to me, because there's obviously some sort of togetherness. I recall how they, they what? Went on a nice walk together? Lorgar and the two missing Primarchs? The two missing Primarchs okay, tried to rebel together and got put down? How they just got put down in general? We will never know because it's just getting cut up and I, it's not mentioned ever again. Yep. Apart from that you 
will not do this. But it is interesting that uh, he, the emperor like took a vote, apparently, uh, over whether to expunge so how much? Yeah, so do we want to kill this one guy again? Do we want to kill the other weak brother, or are you okay with him sticking around? He seems like a good kid. Poor Russ. He could have. He's, he could be doing something if he just gets shocked into. He's got a soft spot for family, and it gets him in trouble sometimes. <laughs> sure. Yeah, <laughs> totally soft spot. But, but moving, moving on. Moving on. Yeah. Um, what I really love about this is Magnus has one of the coolest stage leaving turns in in general. Like he's doing the completely right thing. Logar keeps pressing and he wants to know, are there gods outside? Is there somebody listening to my prayers? Is there something to worship? And Magnus keeps dodging and dodging and dodging. Eventually just says, if you will not alter your path, then only one thing awaits you in the stars. And right before he gets teleported away, he says, misery. And then he and explodes the roof off of uh, Logar's house. Uh, the Spire Temple, yeah. It's in the mid middle of the city. It is a gigantic building out of class. And this thing just blows up. Logar doesn't get in touch with anybody. And then we cut back from Logar to the Blessed Lady. Because mm -hmm. in general, Cyrene, she is not just a normal mortal. She is the Blessed Lady. She is the one who saw the perfect city get turned into dust. And then, this planet is hot for that stuff. There are processions, there are people praying, crying, everything. Yeah. They are going nuts for her. And she goes on the planet, talks a little bit to the leaders, and then she gets asked to come to Logar. And while she is on the way with um, Argatol, Zephan, Dagatol, and some other guy whose name I forgot... This happens. And the Space Marines, of course, take her there because they got told, go there. But yeah, Laura wants to talk to the Blessed Lady. Yeah, and she can see him. Which is. Yeah. Oh, wild. by the way, there was also the very first time. <clears throat> I'm still not sure. There might be a bell. But. The Space Marines come up. They are stressed out. They want to talk and figure out, is Logar still alive? Mm. He w they want to go through, and the priest is standing in front of the door, freaking out. And the Space Marine is threatening him, and the priest doesn't believe him. So the um, Argatol pulls his weapon, and the very first human being in this book peace himself. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Right. Yeah. I told you, I will, I will, I will f try and find a nice ping sound, because you would be surprised how many people pee themselves in those books. Yeah, it's a distressing amount, but uh, very distressing. There's a lot of post-human and psychic shenanigans going on, so if ever there was a time to wet it yourself, it is in the grim tank future. But yeah, so they managed to find him. They managed to talk to Logar, and Cyrene is able to see him. She, she. Oh, by the way, she did not want to have her eyes replaced and augmented. She wanted to wait till they heal, 
which they will never do. So she just walks around blind. Yeah, it's something of a cultural thing. Um, Kerr I, thinks honestly, that, the, you know, eyes are windows to the soul, and if you do something, like put in bionic eyes, you bar the windows, so when you die, your soul just stays in the corpse. Not cool. No, that's, that's exactly not what she is afraid of. But I know the saying, this is a German one as well, that the eyes are the windows to the soul. Mm. And, well, the other stuff, not so much, but she does not want to replace them because those who are struck with false eyes, let's see if I find it. Oh, yeah, they also ask her if she hates the emperor and she doesn't hate him, so that's pretty f uh, uh, interesting. Ah, uh, here. Our, mo our mortis priests always preached that they could see the trapped souls of the lost and the damned in the false eyes of servitors. It was said that those who wore false eyes would never move beyond this life to paradise beyond. So yeah, kind of they are trapped, or they just don't get to live the nice life afterwards because they replaced the eyes. So she never gets new eyes to see. She just stays blind. But she is able to see Logar. And for the very first time in this book, Logar uses his psychic powers in order to talk to Algotal. Because he wants to talk to him, but he doesn't want to use his voice. He wants to know a little bit of her past, and he wants to know what happened. Because she was... Uh, what was it? She was abused on core, and that's all they ever mention about this. She was abused on core. Yeah, Two months of wandering around a ruined city and... Blind. Yeah, blind will, will certainly lead to that. Uh, Absolutely. Like, I'm surprised she's still alive. Yeah, it is pretty impressive. And then uh, Lorgar stops psychically talking to Argo Tall and starts actually talking to Cyrene uh, and asks if she forgives him. Mm-hmm. And she, she's the only one who can grant. Yeah, um, forgives him for, you know, being essentially the cause of the Ultramarines blowing up her city and blinding her. And will you forgive me what I did to your world, to your perfect city, to your precious eyes? Yep. And she nods and looks away, and this makes Lorgar pretty happy. Um, and then he kisses her. Yep. And then, On her knuckles, of course. Oh, he's a gentleman. Oh, yeah, we keep it PG-13. <laughs> Just gratuitous violence. Sorry. Americans don't care, don't oh, care about gratuitous violence. Um, and then she asks if she can serve the Legion. No, she doesn't ask. She wants to let me yeah, serve you. Yeah, let me serve you. Let me serve you. And uh, Lorgar asks if she knows what a confessor is. And she's like, yeah, you know, they have listeners on Kerr. They'd hear the sins and forgive them. And Lorgar says, yeah, that's, oh, that's it. Uh, like, your life is your own. You can come with us if you want. Um, and if you do that, you know, will you be a confessor for my legion? Hear their sins and forgive them. And she kneels, starts praying, and... Uh, that just sort of becomes her job uh, with the serrated sun if she hangs out. And Confessor, she stays there, she listens to their sins and forgives them because she forgave 
their Primark, so it is just fitting that she stays and forgives his sons. Mm-hmm. But Logger is not done with asking questions or having questions and requests. Logar asks Argotol if he can stay with him on his ship. Yeah, which is a little weird, because the Serrated Sun aren't like a big-time chapter uh, in the Legion. They're sort of a smaller chapter. Um, but they're going to get Lorgar, and they're going to get some bodyguards, slash jailers, slash watchmen, uh, they get Laura, they get Sirene, and they get their favorite. Yeah. Their very favorite. Aqualon um, and Custode. Custode. Yeah, but Aqualon. Aqualon is the Custode Argotol already knew, so Aqualon actually requested to stay with the Serrated Sun. Yeah. It's pretty interesting that he stays with the Serrated Sun and with Logar, but it just makes sense. Yeah, and it does give a little. I guess almost a hint of humanity to the custode because he doesn't seem to go like request the serrated son because he knows Lorgar is going to be there. He just wants to be with the serrated son, presumably because he already knows Argyll Tall and maybe hopes that the job won't be quite so horrible. As bad. Uh, yeah, because it's not great. Argotol, it's not a great job. Yeah, Argotol and. Of course, the Voidbearers are pretty mad. Well, not pretty. They are absolutely furious at the Custodes. So there's a lot of... I don't know the word for it. There's just a lot of passive aggressiveness. But Argotol can see them for the warrior, and he appreciates them for the warrior they are. So there's at least something they can build up a relationship on. So yeah, he's asking them the... Custode Aqualon is asking to stay with the serrated son, and Lolgar asks his son if he can come with him, which I also think is a nice manipula- a nice tactic because Argotol, of course, is absolutely flooded. How how could my Primark? He's such such a humble being. He's not telling me he's gonna come with me. He's asking me if he can come with me. Even though in reality it doesn't really matter, he's going to come no matter what Argatol would say. It's not like you can say no to your Primark. Mm-hmm. If he would say no to your Primark, I'm pretty sure you will die. <laughs> I mean, we see what a lion did to yeah. the one guy. Huh? The word bearers are such <clears throat> rule followers when it comes to doing what their Primark wants that he might actually just bust a heart. Who knows? But yeah. Who knows? So... It's one big happy family, and Lorgar decides that he's just going to go to the edge of the galaxy, you know, just away from the Imperium, away from the other legions. No, 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 no. He, they, are do, they are not going away. They are... So they're undertaking a pilgrimage. Undertaking? Exactly. Very important. They're trying to find a spot where mortals and gods meet. Mm-hmm. And... Logar lays tarot cards. Yeah, which is fun, because if you've read any of the 40k books, uh, the Emperor's Tarot is a very important way for, like, Astropaths and other psychers to divine the future, and it always seems to work. Um, granted, it's generally something terrible is happening, because it's the 41st millennium and something terrible is always happening. Um, but it turns out that they were made by, uh, or invented by Logar. 
Uh, they're crystal yeah, wafers tries to get a mess of focus. with a psychoreactive liquid. So they're essentially just blank squares of crystal. And when you are a psyker and you take them and start you know, doing the things to make the tarot deck work, they show up various symbols which can be interpreted by those that know what's happening. Uh, so he starts dealing out the cards to see, you know, what's up. Uh, and the first card he gets is truth. And he's just like, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go find the truth. Something is calling to me. Magnus, like, I'm not like Magnus. I can't just, like, look and figure this out because I'm not that crazily good a psyker. But I've always known something's calling to me, and I'm going to go find it. And Erebus and Corfaro will help me. It'll be good. Spoiler. It's going to be like in a good old yeah, days. Spoiler alert. Not good. Uh, <laughs> and then the second card he gets is Fate. Uh, and he kind of has a little introspection about, like, well, the Emperor says he's not a god. Um, but there has to be gods. Something like the, a god there and has all to be a god somewhere or God somewhere and he starts kind of like thinking about the old faith of uh, Colchis about how they talk about the warp has gods and all that sort of stuff and uh, you know he thinks oh, yeah a lot of those are probably myths but there has to be some truth to it somewhere I mean the last part the last sentence he says on this whole thing is if there's well, not in the whole thing, but in this whole part about humanity and faith. He says, if there's truth to the old faith, I will find mm -hmm. it. He is pretending to keep going on with the of taking over the stars back for humanity. But no, he, he just wants to find the truth. He wants to know if the old faith is real or not, because he believes humanity is nothing without faith. Yeah. And that's this, I think, is the biggest failure that the Emperor does in this whole thing. Not even, like, admitting or not admitting he's a god. But the only, like, response Lorgar could possibly give to the events at Monarchia is, alright, fine. If you're not gonna, like, admit you're a god, I'm, I'm done with you. I'm a find me a god. But at no point... Does anybody, like, pull them aside and be like, look, so there's these things in the warp. They're going to act like gods. They're super not, promise. <laughs> like, nobody try. like, nobody is whispering in his ear that this is a, might be a bad thing right at the outset. No, and everybody and was, it, yeah, everybody who's whispering in his ear is like, oh yeah, those are totally gods. We always pray to them. And then we stopped for a while because we thought you were right, but actually I didn't even think you were right. Yeah. But yeah, those are gods. Those are really the gods. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I just wanted you to figure Nobody it warns. out. Well, Magnus tries to warn him, but <sighs> everybody kind of walks around it on stealth yeah, stilts. Yeah, Magnus is too pretentious to say things that he means. He would rather say five other things that, if you're clever enough, might lead you to what he actually thinks. Uh, and that backfires in a big way here, because, uh, you know, the, the next tarot card he pulls is the Pilgrimage, and he's like, well, yeah, we're going to go, no, we're going to find, uh, 
heaven and hell and gods and demons and all of it. We're going to find it. Man, you skipped home. Oh, I skipped home. I'm sorry. Because Colchis home. is trash. Um, it it kind of is, to be fair. Yeah. But it's pretty trash. Like the shiny pebble. But yeah, he pick, he gets home and of course he's talking about how everything is going on. And how he is the golden Aurelian, the sun. And he's ke he keeps talking about the legends of the primitive space far-differing vessels. He's just... Yeah. Yeah, the journey to seek home of the gods is known to us as the pilgrimage. And then he pulls the card. Yeah. Then he pulls the pilgrimage. And wants to find heaven and hell and gods and demons and all of that. And then he pulls the fifth card. Which he says, at first it's, you know, the, the card's picture is the emperor... But the name of the card is a golden lord. And he's sort of like, you know, I grew up in the old religion and then we started worshiping the emperor. And now I can't help but think that there's got to be some truth to those old, you know, there's got to be a primordial truth. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought it was the emperor. And, uh, well, he, the emperor just isn't the golden lord. My dreams will be lies. Mm -hmm. The golden lord does not rise. And then he's sort of like, Oh, my hands are gold. Light Yeah, bulb. I look to the stars now with the old... Well, no. I look to the stars now with the old scrolls burning runes across my memory. And I see my own hands are as I write these words. Erebus and Corferon speak the truth. My hands, they, too, are golden. And this is the first part of the book. And this is where it ends. The very... Yep. And it's, it's a strong book. And it's such a weird... Strong first part. Yeah. And it's so weird because, again, like that emperor's tarot that he draws that seems to be pointing him to like go on this pilgrimage and find out all of these things. Uh, in the 41st millennium, like that's not something that chaos can like alter. It's not something that they affect. It's... Like, they can, you know, if a Chaos guy is around, you can draw, like, oh, my God, Chaos, the Primordial Annihilator, bad things are happening. But, like, a Chaos Psyker or, you know, a demon can't manipulate you into, you know, seeing the lightning-struck tower when it should have been the pilgrimage, you know? It cannot lie yeah, to it, you. Yeah, it can't lie. It can be misinterpreted, but can't lie. Uh, I, to be fair, it is... Pretty interesting, because in general, the 31st millennium is pretty much what Logar envisioned. Mm -hmm. They are pr The whole, all humans in within the Imperium are praying to the God Emperor. They are using the tarot cards. They are doing all the things he wanted. Um, he's, they are reading his yeah, first book. The foundational faith is the Lectitio Divinitatis. Oh, it doesn't age but well. He, I don't know, like nothing he did was used by the time it was around. At the beginning, his book was absolutely ignored. The tarot cards, they are ignored. Well, He keeps rambling a little bit with the tarot cards about uh, how uh, Russ doesn't like them, but he's throwing bones into the sky and mumbles. Because he's not using psychics, he's using the natural power of Fenris. <laughs> yeah, exactly, because it's totally, totally different. different. <clears throat> he, 
Yeah, it's like potato, potato. But anyways. <laughs> and Magnus doesn't use them because he can just stick his head in the warp and see things. Yeah, he, he's powerful enough, but Logar was not able to fit to really use his power. He had it, but he had no control over it. So here's my conspiracy theory, Caro. Oh my. Um, so we know that the Emperor's Terret doesn't lie. We know it can't be tricked by chaos or like manipulated by chaos mm-hmm. that way. And yet, if you look at the cards that he draws, it's encouraging him to go find the chaos gods. If the tarot is part of, like, if the emperor, beloved by all, uh, is the one who's, like, helping you do the tarot readings, presumably... He's helping Lorgar do the tarot readings. I mean, he needs this to happen because otherwise a lot of things are not going to happen which are needed to happen. Uh Like, this whole book is great because this is a lot of the things we will talk about in the next episode because this is all in the new, in the next part of the book. But there are just a lot of things and motions which have to happen in order for everything else to happen. So yeah, the emperor. I don't. We we can't really tell. Is it the emperor who does it, or is it the chaos gods? Because they also want this. They need this to happen. Yeah. If this does not happen with Logar, other things would not have happened. Yeah. If uh, if you if your listeners have heard any of our rants about how the emperor wanted a civil war, just maybe not the one he ended up getting. I think this might be oh, yeah. you know a check mark in favor of that because. If Lorgar goes and finds the Chaos Gods, and and then what? Like he's you know, spoiler alert, but it's the title of the book, the first heretic. Oh yeah. Like Lorgar is the first of the Primarchs to fall to chaos, more like jumping lovingly into their embrace. But he's yeah, he's doing it in a good sneaky yeah, way. But he's not the leader of the Horus Heresy. Yeah, it's the horse heresy. It's not Lorgar's yeah. heresy. Yeah, because Lorgar is a weakling. Everybody says so. Um, so he said he himself says so sometimes. Yeah. So it may have been Biggie's plan to have the word bearers fall to chaos, but have Lorgar be the one the in charge solution. because Lorgar is an idiot and just will get massacred. <laughs> Oh come right? on! No, 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 no! Like he's, he's just—it's it, like if, he's just misunderstood. He's not a warrior, you know. But no, but exactly, no, he's I, not a, a good warrior. Point. And if you're not a warrior, you're gonna not be the best why? general. And why do you have the biggest legion then? Oh yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, he's got the biggest legion, but he's probably got the biggest legion because they are going so slow, right? They're not involved in as much fighting as the other legions, so their numbers are bigger. You're saying they're just not dying. Yeah. Also. Also, their uh, gene seed is very stable, yeah. and it's not like with the uh, with the emperor's children, where they just pretty much die or the thousand sons. Yeah, like it, it, their gene seed is pretty stable for the most part. Yeah. Um, but I I think Big E's plan was to kind of dangle Lorgar as bait to the chaos gods, have the chaos gods put all their eggs in that basket, and uh, then send that basket straight to hell. Didn't turn out that way. 
But uh, that's my crazy conspiracy theory for the episode. I calculated a risk, but damn, I'm bad at math. The Emperor on the throne, someone, after everything. (laughs) You know it. Yeah. So yeah, this was the very first part of The First Heretic. To be honest, I have no idea when this will go up. I have no idea when we will keep carrying on, but just let us know or if there's another book you want us to go to next. Yep, we're certainly not going in order. Hell no. Because I want... I encourage everybody to read however they want. Don't go for any order apart from the first three books. And always read The First Heretic. If you have not read it, please do. It's so good. It really is. It's, it's one of my favorites. And again, the word bearers are a trash legion. And I think it's one of my favorites, so that should tell you how good a book it is. Uh, I don't really like the custodes either, now that we think... I don't like any of the legions that are in this book. Me neither. I don't, well, no, I kind of like to... No, see, I like the legion, but I don't like the primarch. I don't like the ultramarines. I really enjoy how Lorger punishes Gilliman. That does make me happy. Very yeah. happy. So, you know... Let us know if there's another book, the next one to go off of, and we'll eventually get to it. <laughs> yeah, just throw it out yep. in space. We might read or it. Or leave it up to we us. We might do it. We'll pick all the good ones. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have, we absolutely know, have a plan for the next books. It's, it's going to be fun. Yep. With this, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, night, morning. I don't know when you read it. Go wild. It's a pandemic. Time is an illusion. There's only yesterday, tomorrow, and the day of the appointment. Thanks for listening to another podcast from the Remembrancers Retreat. If you enjoyed this episode, consider leaving a rating on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. You can also find our swag store at teespring.com forward slash stores forward slash RR30K podcast. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at RR30K podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Remembrancers underscore retreat. You can also visit our website, rr30k.com, for podcast updates and the Battlefleet Heresy Compendium. You can also leave us a voicemail for us to play on a future podcast at 1929-437-3791. That's 1929-HERESY1. And you can also leave us an email at the Retreat at gmail.com. Thanks again.